Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our Game Changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. I am Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then, buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and, of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. We're live in three, two. All right, everybody. Well, this one's taking a while to get going. We've got <laughs> some new microphones, and they seem to have caused us a little bit of trouble. But welcome to West Point, Mississippi, everybody, home of Mossy Oak. Looking at Toxie, he looks like he's got a lot going on. We're lucky to have you for a few minutes really? here. You yeah. think so? Yeah, well, I can, I can only imagine. we got Cuss sitting in Lanny's chair. Thank you, Cuss, for being here. Hey, I'm, I'm a great substitute. No, Absolutely. Well, you, you we, we may just keep you on. Uh, <laughs> Lanny's at the nursery doing a lot of de- deconstruction and reconstruction. Yep. Expansion is yeah. exciting. So, yeah, Dudley, you look good. You, you look like you had a good weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Did some squirrel hunting after our squirrel hunting podcast. That had thing, a good time. That was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, it, it really was. I've, so, today, look, but without any further ado, we've got Mark Jury. Now, we all. Everybody knows how much we love Mark Jury. And, and I'm going to go ahead and say it. He's, I think, I don't know anybody that's a better deer hunter than he is. He's just the Wait a minute. The, he's now. just come the best. Well, it may, may hurt your feelings, Doxy. But oh, no, I wasn't talking about me. He is. <laughs> I don't even come. Well, I, Cut, I don't want to hurt your feelings. Hey, no, no, no. I'm not in that world. I, I had the pleasure of introducing Mark and Terry when they were inducted into the Legends of the Outdoors Hall of Fame. And my first statement was, these two have clearly not raised the bar, but set the bar when it comes to whitetail. I mean, I fell on my sword, and I stand by that. I mean, who, oh, I who absolutely else? Agree, absolutely agree. Absolutely. For sure. When I look and see Mark there, I think about picking on him more than I do bragging on him, because <laughs> we go back so far. Well, he, I don't want to get into a picking match with him, because no, he's no, world-class no, at that as well. No. Mark, is there anything you can't do really well? Most things. <laughs> well, you're a world champion turkey caller. You kill more big deer than anybody I know. If you got, if you set your sights on killing elk, you'd be the best at that, I would imagine. Elk were fun when I was in my twenties. You know. Yep, that's different now. It's different now. You know, they just. I don't like where they live. I love looking at where they live. I don't like hiking <laughs> through it. I've got a son-in-law that about kill me he's been trying to get me to oh. go up hunting with him and i know it'd kill me if i went but i've actually been deer. i've actually been out there with him and unbelievable i've never seen anybody in that kind of shape yeah unbelievable he's, he's like an a, athlete. A, a mountain goat yeah that's the truth too yes crazy the rut's about over where you guys are May may in fact be over, but in the deep south that's just kind of getting started we just wanted to kind of pick your brain about 
your attitude going into the rut. And then I think it, it, along these lines, I'd like you to talk a little bit about how you, when you, uh, I, I think now that your attitude has changed about how you look at properties. You're kind of looking at smaller properties now, and it may be that you look at a place and say, okay, this is going to be a good rut property, or this is going to be a good late season property. I'd like to know how you analyze that and if there's any effort in setting up a property to hunt it just for the rut. Certainly. So <clears throat> I'll address your, your first question. Um, first, the, the rut is kind of winding down here, but you do see little, little blips, you know, like uh, I think a few does come back in <clears throat> here in early December through mid-December. So you see some deer back on feed, especially those that kind of might have sustained an injury or a little run down. You start to see them coming back to feed. Uh, we don't have snow cover right now, so green's really hot. Soybeans are also really hot as well. Uh, but you'll you'll see that continue throughout the rest of the year here. It's, it's such a buildup throughout September and October leading into when the first does start to come into estrus. And then mid-November, everything kind of shuts down because everybody's got a girlfriend. And then it's a slow transition out of peak estrus. And, and you just see blips after that of, of great activity. And you kind of need to get into that magic circle where there's only a doe in heat, yet there's three or four bucks standing around her. So this time of the year can be challenging. I prefer, you know, on into December here a little bit when they get back on food. We are almost always better early season and late season, uh, pre-rut and post-rut when it comes to food because we plant so much and, and we do so much in the off season to be ready for that time. That's not to say we can't go out and enjoy our, ourselves during the rut, but we seem to have a better success ratio on the front end and back end of the rut. Um, as, as far as the farms are concerned, I think you have to analyze every property, not only what's on it, but what's around it whenever you're, you're looking at it. And I really look for properties that have food, water, and cover and are also surrounded in, in a good neighborhood, not necessarily the neighbors themselves, but just what that neighborhood looks like. You know, is, is there a bunch of big cover around or is it a bunch of big ag that's around? Uh, and then you, you make your decisions based on that. So I prefer the ones that have a lot of big cover in and around them with not a lot of food available so that we can be the food source. And the, that recipe seems to do quite well for us, you know, before, during and after the rut. So have you, correct me if I'm wrong, but now I'm hearing you talk about managing smaller properties than you have historically in the past. Is there a, uh, is there a strategy to that? Well, I think the, the strategy the, um, is just really wise access and understanding what that property can deliver and making sure you don't expect too much out of that property. Uh, I have a, a, a few different, you know, small parcels. We hunted a parcel last night that's 50 acres, myself and Perry, and that's only the second time we've hunted it all, all year. Earlier in the year, we went in there and bow hunted. Last night, we went in and, and gun hunted, and, and Perry actually killed a deer off that that farm last night it's it's just 50 acres and it is surrounded on all four sides by cattle pasture but it's an island of of cover that's maybe i don't know maybe 15 20 acres of cover and it's either feast or famine they're either in there or they're not you're either going to have a great sit or, or not see much at all and last night we saw five does and a six and a half year old uh six by five and perry shot him at about 50 yards so uh, we felt felt very blessed that they were in there yesterday. And, and your trail cameras help with that. You know, we, we have a lot of regular trail cameras, but we've got some cell cams as well. And I had a cell cam on that 
on that farm and the previous night at 1:45 in the morning i had a picture of that deer so we went in there hoping he was still in there and, and he was he was camped out with those does and on a, a giant winter grass field it, it's probably i don't know it's probably 120 130 yards wide by about or long by about 30 yards wide and they are on it heavily right now so we were we were able to kill that deer last night Mm. So, have, have, are you guys still seeing some ramifications from the dry fall that that we all experienced? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we we don't have a bulb anywhere. You know, I mean, that's why we went back. Most of our stuff, this what is green, was from our third planting. Um, mm. Wow. We, we yeah. planted the first time in early to mid August. Then we planted again in early September. Uh, both of these based on forecasted rain that didn't occur or didn't develop into much. And then that third round, we finally got an inch and a half rain event. And that was, that was late September, early October. And the, the green that we had this fall was by, by and large uh, winter grass. Wow. Doxy, you kind of experienced some of the same thing, then. Yeah, we held off on a lot of it. I will say it's hard, uh, and it'd be harder in his area. It's harder when that soil temperature gets so cool to not to get that, you know, rapid growth that can sustain a lot of grazing and whatever. But this kind of Indian summer we're in right now, this wet is going to help a lot. Mm. And he'll end up, you know, you're probably at this point a lot more worried about what kind of shape my deer get through the winter in than you are whatever else you kill this year. And it's tough. A lot of very few forages of any type that you can plant once it really gets cold and get enough growth to really sustain yourself. And especially in that world, deer, the further north you do go, I think, deer are more programmed to gorge and get ready for the hard winter, late winter. And so that's why I think one of the reasons they have even better luck than we do in the post-rut is those deer are so programmed to, I better get all I can while I can. Don't you think, Mark? I agree 100%. You know, we, we tried a late planting there October the 24th because there was a big rain event coming. And uh, it came up, but that was about it. And then it started freezing and thawing. And right. then we got a snow in mid-November that lasted a week. And that pretty much pretty much put the end of, to most of the green, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even even if you have a bit of a warm spell, you still have a lot shorter day length yeah. by, by this time yeah, of the year. So it, it's it's more difficult to play catch up. So. so I saw a post where Cuz had his tractor idling. He was mm-hmm. waiting on the rain to come so <laughs> yeah. that he could run out there and get in front of it. That's that's the advantage of living on your farm. You know, I, I could literally watch that. I had everything. and it Technically wasn't idling, but it was sitting pointed toward where it needed to be loaded. And that's that we caught that, that one rain, you know. And down here, you don't get those cold temps. So I got, I got some pretty good green. You know, I'm sure everybody else does too. But we've uh, we've come accustomed to watching the Weather Channel down here. Real different than where Mark is. I mean, it's what sixty six degrees today. Those pots are still growing right now. Yeah, I'm I'm a blatant plug, and it's the same thing. I can't just over and over and over. But the best thing we have by far is even with this drought, I've just been amazed. We have an amazing four year and five year old stands of non typical clover. It's yep. unbelievable, and if for my trail cam pictures, all of our best deer, because we've got uh, one particular area, we've got a couple of really big ones. We just turned some ag fields into clover because the deer density and hogs and everything else. And it's the one thing that just keeps on. So now for whatever, 48 months, we've had lush, thick grazing. And it weathered that. It, it really took a beating 
And they were killing it, you know, in August and in like September, that really bad drought. But it made it, and it's so lush right now. And that's where all the deer are centered around on our place, where yeah. we have all that clover, and it made it. I'm just shocked that – I guess – and Mark can speak to it better than me because he's so good at growing. But it's, once you've established something like that a full year, it has so much more root system mm-hmm. than if the very first year. And so if you do like Kenny said and you take care of it, he's got some that's almost 20 years old now. Yeah. I just – Amazing. Yeah, and our world is so much harder. We don't have direct access to ag and summer stuff. We plant a lot for them. But with the the influx of hogs, they actually graze just like the deer and put so much pressure on it. The clover is by far the best thing for us. And I, that's what saved us. It could have been disastrous, the drought on our deer. And that clover helped save us right there. Hmm. Mark, you've, you've planted a lot of our non-typical. I think I have like 40, 43 or 44 fields of, of clover, non-typical wow. clover. And wow. I always consider that my insurance policy yes. in case the green plots don't don't make. But this year, we were so dry for so long, those few rains that we did get just weren't enough to get the clover wow. back to what I'm used to. They, wow. they sprouted and they came up, but the deer pressure kept them down. And it it didn't it wasn't the insurance policy that it has been for me in the past because yep. we were so dry for so long and then <clears throat> the rains we got were just late in the cycle. I mean we didn't get a, a really a measurable lane there rain till late September and you know we were frosting two weeks later right and it just wasn't just was not enough to get the clover back up and going. So I'm I'm kind of interested to see what clover I have next spring. Um, I'm a little worried about it. Uh, you know, hopefully this little. Warm spot. We've got, well, you're not, I keep thinking you're in the same ballpark in Missouri and, and then even in Iowa, but you're a lot further north. Y'all are a lot colder than us. So our yeah. soil temperature, we're getting a little maybe two-week reprieve, and we're even up in the 70s during the day with like drizzly rain every day. I'm, I'm anxious to see how everything that was planted late responds. I think it's going to help us a lot. Now, hunting stinks right now, but uh, it's going to help our food plots a ton. That we're late. We're, we're freezing nightly now. You know, yeah, we're no, highs that's... in the 30s, lows in the in the teens to 20s every day. I'd be anxious to get a report from you how it survives. It's just if it's just I've learned if it's just barely hanging on in that late summer, early fall period to leave it alone, and it'll come bursting back when it finally gets the right conditions. But we'll see. I'd like to know. Yeah, no, another point to make is is this year is actually a really good testament to what we're doing outside of our food plots. So uh, if mm-hmm. you, even if you have a complete failure, thanks to drought or, you know, bad timing of planting, if you're doing uh, some TSI in the woods and getting some thickets and some natural food, then that definitely serves as a no good backup. Question. No question. Mm. You know, we, we had a lot of rain in April and May, quite a bit, actually. And we had a, just a bumper acorn crop. So I, I think that saved us in, in terms of the overall herd health because there there were a lot of acorns that made the hunting challenging. But in the big scheme of things, I think it's going to help the overall herd health here in the Midwest. You know, he, he and Matt both mispronounced that word. Acorns? What? It's, it's acorns. That's, that's, ca- that's called local vernacular. <laughs> yeah, and you will be called out <laughs> if you say that incorrectly down here. So, Mark, let me ask you this. So – when you think about you, you 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 really understand deer vocalizations a lot. Would you kind of carry us through what's going on when a buck is grunting, and then can you talk about Mac went on a hunt recently and he was anxious to take some rattling horns. Can you can you explain what part of the rut that you have the most success rattling? Bobby, in terms of vocalizations, you know 
does will grunt, bucks will grunt, and that seems to increase in how much they vocalize as you get into the to the estrus cycle. So if I hear a buck walking along and grunting, I, I'm oftentimes going to grunt back at him, uh, especially if he's, he, if he's in an upwind position. That's one thing I'm very careful about. I don't call a lot to deer that I don't feel like have a good approach to my stand because by their nature, they're going to circle downwind mm-hmm. and then, you know, they're going to catch you and, and you could burn a chip on a, say a, a non-target deer that hurts you in the future two or three years from now. Say you hear a buck grunting and you call to him and he gets your wind. Well, if he's a three-year-old that you're going to target in two years, he's not going to forget that. So I have a tendency to make sure that I can see the deer or feel like I've got a very good approach for that deer to get to me without, without winding me. Um, that increases as you get into peak estrus. And then all of a sudden it can die down a lot because it here in the Midwest, at least if you take November the 13th through about the 15th or 16th, there's so many does in estrus and there's so many bucks that are tending does. We call it lockdown to where there's just not much moving. There's not a lot of grunting going on and uh, it's hard to find a deer moving past you. Um, In terms of your question about rattling, I rattle uh, more in late October and early November, and then again, late November and early December. So at the the two ends of estrus, I have a lot of luck in late October when those those bucks are looking for that first doe. We have a phase in, in 13 called pre-lock, and they're very, very susceptible to rattling right then. Uh, and then again in late November, and really for us right now in early December, because They've had does, they're looking for the next available doe, and if they hear a fight, they're going to come. And along with that, if you're in visual company, our country, uh, buck decoys do extremely well late November and early December. We just killed one over a buck decoy about, I don't know, five or six days ago in, in late November. And I mean, we've, we've had a, a pile coming to them here the last, last 10 days. Cause you ever used a, a deer decoy? I have never used a deer decoy down here. These deer are so evil down here. I'm scared to do anything. Yeah. You know, <laughs> while we're making blatant plugs, one of the things that's helped me a lot is because uh, these these deer are different. I don't care how where you go, mm-hmm. they're just different. To answer your question, no, I hadn't used a deer decoy, and I, I don't know. I've I've never even rattled out there. So uh, di- different different things down here than what Mark deals with, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, Mark is a. I think you're kind of known for being an aggressive hunter, whether it's deer mm-hmm. or turkey. I, I'm going. I'm going to back you up on that. Oh, is that right? He is meticulous more than anybody I've known, and I mean, he many, many hundreds in details. So, yeah, he may be aggressive, but he does not barge in at the wrong time. You just got. He got a great spot. He's hunted it twice this year. I can remember a huge deer he killed years ago, and it was like the first time he'd hunted it was like about now or like late November, because he'd never got the right conditions. That stand had been hung back in, you know, whatever, middle summer. So, yeah, but he is meticulous about details. And every look, that's that's the biggest thing to me. There's always, and when he comes across something, it's in the memory bank and he, he learns it. Yeah. You know, some people ask me sometimes, and it may be not about hunting, but how'd you learn that? I said, well, if you stick your hand on a red-hot stove enough times in a row, you'll finally <laughs> stop, you know? And so... uh when you said that, I just know so many people that are so exuberant and love it so much, and they just barge right in and hunt, you know, and they're not being careful about how much noise they make or which way the wind's blowing that particular day and stuff. And that's super aggressive. But to me, Mark may be, but he's always strategic about it. Little so, little things kill big deer. Yes. Little, little, it's a little great, things it's a kill great big deer. saying right there. Yeah. 
Well, what, what he was talking a minute ago about not calling at a at a three year old bat. That's kind of like th- thinking three moves ahead in a chess game. I right. Mean, he, he, and speak it, to what you said. I thought about when you're talking about what other thing is, is like when you said super aggressive. No, it is in everything in life. And this is a blatant plug for Mark. You know, and we've been close for a long time, and you just watch people you're so proud of. But he's super enthusiastic about everything, and that bleeds through in you know his success in hunting and you know whatever land and real estate but even more especially like his business and his family good gosh someone in the family's mom or somebody kills a deer he's so he's the most enthusiastic yeah. and just like a little kid still and, and so i just genuine. point that out to people if you want to learn from him is like the love he has for his critters and his land and his family and his friends and all that and how that bleeds into everything he does that's more important than you know the technique of the things he's learned and so i would want to point that out to the people that are watching him and trying to learn from him don't miss what he's not talking about and yep. that's how he is yeah those are kind and of like yeah whatever it's true you know i mean when you get a chance to be sure and point things out i think people will help people in life beyond hunting uh, we've got a lot of people do that none better than mark yeah so i'll learn from him myself you look like you're blushing mark <laughs> Well, I'd like to do one of these podcasts about weekly just to listen to you guys, man. You talk about humble you and, and make you feel good inside. And it, it, it goes it goes so deep with, with all of us on this this call. This is special to me with, with Cuz and Toxie and, and Bobby and, of course, Dudley as well. But, I mean, this goes back over three decades of, of just love and admiration and respect. And, you know, you, you can't put enough uh, words into my feelings and our family's feelings for that family down there in, in West Point. You guys are, you guys changed my life and um, I'll never, never be able to repay you for oh, the gosh. opportunities that, that we've been given. Well, that's I'll, what makes it so cool because I just, it's not possible to have as much pride for, and it's not, I will say the rest of the world because nobody goes back that far and have been there from back then. It, you know, it's, it is pretty cool. And so that's another thing, you know, for people that, get mad and move on or whatever, you know, the great things when you look back at life are the ones you stuck with mm. and the loyalty that you had. And I'll never, you know, you talk about ever be able to repay, my gosh, your loyalty to all of us and everything going on here. And not just that, the whole, everybody, friendship and family, that's more than repaid for anything we've ever done. Big time. And we move on from that. But yeah. I mean, you know me, when I see something that the public yeah. might miss, and I want them to pay attention to it, you know, and, you know. No, it's just worth pointing out. for yourself and watch what's going on, you know. It is worth pointing out. So, to, uh, look, I, I don't want to be the guy that moves this along, but let's get, let's. Uh, but let's move I, along. Yeah, and I'd, I'd like for our listeners and myself, I'm selfish, I want to learn something from Mark. And, Mark, I, I've got one question about this. I've watched your style of hunting kind of change through the years. And maybe it's that we're all getting a little bit older, and I don't want to look at Cuz when I say that because we're all getting a little bit older. But I see you hunting. Yeah, I'm out leading of, that pack by a long what? shot. I see you hunting out of enclosed blinds a little bit more. And can can you can a fellow like one of our can can you play the wind a little bit different in those scenarios? Can you keep the windows closed? And can you have a hope of containing your scent? Or so, what's motivating you to do some of that? Is it is it you're getting older? Or are you trying to play that scent a little bit better? Well, <clears throat> we still we still hunt out of trees as well. I, I killed a deer out of a tree in Texas of all places earlier this year, but we had a really strong stiff wind that wasn't curling around in there, and that that helped a lot. So 
Uh, we do place a lot of uh, blinds throughout the farms because it's more about the spot. You know, we were talking about little things kill big deer. Like we'll watch, you know, an area for two or three seasons in a row and go, that's it. That's the spot right there. And and then I used to say you always pick the tree and then plant to the tree anymore. Like I pick the spot exactly where I want it and I erect a blind and then do everything in and around that position in terms of access, planting, and not only ingress, but also egress getting out of it. So uh, oftentimes when you see us in a blind, there's a whole lot more to it than just, oh, they put a blind up and kill a deer. It has to do with where I think the deer are coming from, how we can get in, how we can get out and, um, you know, shooting lanes and what wind speeds we're going to be in there on and everything else. But it definitely helps reduce your scent profile. I do, I do believe wholeheartedly it does that. We're big, we're big on ozone, not only in the field, but also out of the field. We're big on scent-free showers and what we put on our bodies, what we, you know, are in our trucks. And then we definitely keep those windows closed, especially on a calm night when that wind's going every different direction. You know, we want to try and trap as much in that blind as we possibly can. So it's, it, you know, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of reasons why we, why we hunt out of them, but they'll also mess you up quite often because you don't have that free range of motion you have out of a tree. You've got little windows you can shoot out of. And we've had a bunch of deer slip by us that didn't get killed because, because we were in a blind. Mm. Yeah. Cause if you, what, what have you experienced? Mm-hmm. Have you, has your style as you've gotten older changed a little bit? Well, my, my style revolves around kids. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm all about the grandkids and my daughter still like that. So all my good spots have shooting houses on period. You don't expect, you know, your bride of whatever, 48 years to get up in a 16 foot ladder. So, uh, I, I have shooting stands all over the place. I, I use ground blinds and stuff. I still have my lock ons up and some ladders and I love that. Nothing like that, but I'm telling you, we've been real affected. Out of, I'm, I'm talking about very effective out of, out of ground blinds. And you, you can talk about it all you want. You can get into the crossbow versus compound bow, and you'll post. I'll post a picture and somebody, oh, you're old, you're hunting in a ground line. Hey, if it works, it works. Yeah. I, I, I want to teach them successful and have a, you know, a, a goal in mind. And if they can kill a deer out of a shooting house, most of mine are homemade except one or two. That gives them character my, my, in my book. But, yeah, I, I, I think they're deadly. So, hey, uh, Mark has got to go in just a few minutes. Mark, we had some of our uh, uh, listeners email in some questions. And Dudley, why don't you shoot, fire some? Just Mark, just give some real quick yeah. answers to some of these. Dudley, what you got? Yeah, so uh, JCW Double Alt 23 said, uh, are there any steps and timing uh, to, to perform a, a mock scrape, um, like during pre-rut and rut, et cetera? Uh, when would you go in there and set up a mock scrape? When's the best time to do that? You know, I would say anytime they're, they're lose their velvet, we start setting some up back in September here in the Midwest. So anytime that they're hard horned, I, I don't think it's a bad time to, I would get it started earlier rather than later, put it that way. So that more deer have a chance to start using it naturally. I can't pronounce it, but Lee and Reedham, uh, said, if, uh, and I don't know if you have any properties with, with power lines or gas lines on them, but is there any particular way you would manage uh, around uh, like a power line right of way or a gas line to in- increase visuals when you're hunting? You know, I, I think I think back to my early years hunting down there with Toxie and, and we were hunting on some power lines, if I'm not mistaken. Um 
I don't, I don't have those up here. I mean, we do, but they're through rough country and that you wouldn't consider, consider planting them. So I would almost defer to Toxie's response on that one because mm-hmm. I do not have a lot of experience with, with that question. A good answer. It, it's all about who you know, too. <laughs> well, one of the things, I guess it just it gives you availability of soil and sunlight that you might not have. That's the biggest thing. Uh, I would just say, if you're asking for a tip about it, there's two ways to go. One, if you've got a place where that's the only place to plant, then I would just maximize however much you can grow there. But if you do have other stuff and you're not dependent on it, I would diversify. I wouldn't plant, you know, a half a mile straight of just biologic. I would diversify, let some grow up. You'll you'll notice if you just let it grow up like a year and they hadn't mowed it, or even if it's just, you know, three, four foot tall grasses, that's where they're going to be crossing mm-hmm. and using. So I would say diversify if you can mm. along those lines and not plant it all. Now, you know, in a lot of cases with the – a high deer density and of course i keep talking about the hogs we have and all you might be best to just plant all of it and it gives you that but i'm not sure other than you know a good wide um superpower line i guess whatever they call those high transmission lines whatever uh give you enough room because the the, the roots from a tree in the shade created is going to not grow a lot in that first little bit and so a small power line is more of almost like a visual crossing spot it's great for hunting but uh you you know if you've got a big transmission line coming through there use it just like you have a big field you know yeah that's right hey mark what this might be a personal question but i want to ask this with these blinds that you have do you lock them so when you're going to go to this 50 acres you've got somewhere and you've got a field and you've got a blind is that blind locked I, i do not lock them no you know, I've, I've, heard, I've heard other people that talk about locking them, and they some but some of the. To me, the the advent of cell cams prevented a lot of on foot trespassing yes. in the Midwest, from yeah. what I can tell. Like, there's cell cams <laughs> everywhere, and uh, we just we just don't see a lot of people on foot. Our issue is from the roads, open areas next to the roads, yes. people popping them from from a county road. Absolutely, mm. it's a different it's a different ball game with deer. You think about someone having to get on foot and hike into a place. I mean, and sure, they may, you know, poach a big, big deer, just kind of cut the head off and run or whatever, but they got to leave a lot of evidence and you find something. I mean, it's not the same as, like, people that would do stuff, turkey hunting, where they can grab it and run, you know. So mm-hmm. it's it's more difficult for them. And I think even around here, the game wards will tell you the road hunting is the worst, more so than just the, like, encroachment poaching stuff. Hey, right. I got a question for Mark. And this is, this is complicated, but I – I've been on my farm for almost 20 years now, and I can't tell you how many pictures I follow bucks. When they get about three years old, they just disappear. Yeah, they should change the scientific name when they, they get ju- turn four years old, in my opinion. And it's not from pressure on my place. I got plenty of food. I got everything they need out there, and they literally disappear. And I've had that happen 10 or 15 times. Do you think bigger bucks run them off? Uh, how much territory do they need? Is that a common occurrence? It, it's common for us up here as well, cause and and they almost never come back. Has <laughs> been my experience. You think, yep. well, he'll he'll come back. So I think natural mortality is tough on them too. I, I think we lose a lot more bucks than we know to different causes of death. You know, um, number one, probably dispersion. You know, they're dispersing and going somewhere else. But number two, I just think a lot of deer they get killed by a neighbor. Uh, they get killed by a car. They get locked up with other bucks. They get a they get a wound sustained from 
uh, on their legs from rutting real hard that gets infected kills them or they get a wound from uh, another buck hitting them that gets infected and kills them but natural mortality is really tough on bucks really really tough on them while we got you sitting i'm gonna ask you one more thing (laughs) Uh, three, four, five-year-old deer, how, how many chances you think you get if you get busted, uh, like say was sent or trying to sneak out of a stand and you thought they were gone and he saw you? How many chances do you think an older buck will give you before he's out of there? And Not, not- many. It depends on the time of the year. <laughs> we get by with a lot more this time of the year when they're on food and they're congregated because – I don't want to say they're used to getting cleared, but they clear often. A coyote hits the field or a fawn runs in and clears the field and they don't go very far and then they'll, they'll come back out. So it, they're much more tolerant to it up here in December and January than they are in September and October. I, I always feel like if we booger a deer early season, that was probably the chance at, at that deer. Um, Wade had a Wade had a deer get him last night in Missouri that was on a doe a big six and a half year old five by five. And we've been so careful with that deer. We're getting lots of pictures of him. And I just, we just stayed away from him because he wasn't in the right situation or he wasn't moving during daylight. And he is now, and Wade went in on him last night and he, he caught their wind and right as Wade was about to pull the trigger. And he asked this very question last night, how long? And I said, it might be next season, buddy, because <laughs> mm-hmm. he's six and a half mm-hmm. years old. It's December and he caught him good. So I said, we're going to stay out of that farm for a while and see if he starts coming back. But we, it will not surprise me if we don't see that deer again on, on cameras this, this year, or if we do, it'll be at night. Yeah, go ahead. Kyle. Yeah, I, I, I asked uh, Kevin Burleson this. I had him on my podcast a couple of weeks ago. He's an outfitter. He does DIY hunts. And I was fascinated with his answer, but the best way when you're surrounded by deer at sunset is too dark to shoot. What do you do to get out of there? I mean, there's there's a couple of options you know, uh, but what do you do when you get, you just got to get out of there and there's deer in front of you? What, how does Mark handle that? We have great success with a coyote howl, man. They hear it and they're gone and they're used to hearing it. And we just blow them out of there with a coyote, but it doesn't seem to affect them the next night because it's a natural sound. Right. Sometimes we owl hoot as well. Like any loud sound will, will clear the field, especially if there's like a fawn next to you or a doe or something that you can get the domino effect going and um, they'll come right back out the next night up here anyway. So we use, we right usually now. use a, a natural sound and, and get them going that way. That's but just great... as long as it's not human scent, you know, That's human the worst. sight or human scent, yep. we avoid that at all costs. So one little trick we've had sometimes if you with phones, just like someone else's hunting, just ride through, you know, any kind of road. Don't stop and pick them up and all. I mean, that's one thing. We just ride through, you know, in a normal course of riding through that would bust them out for me. Just tell someone and then you know that's a way to bust them out if you don't have another way but he's right i think busting them right at dark over the food source especially a food plot is the worst thing you can do yeah to have a chance at that food source again in daylight mm-hmm. dudley if you got a, one more question from a listener that stood out at you and while you're looking at that i'm gonna ask mark a quick question okay Mark, so in cuz when these bucks disperse, like y'all are talking about, don't you find that you pick up a, a deer that you didn't have? Don't 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 you find that bucks disperse onto your place? I not not in I don't not in the fall. You may see some the next year, you know. But I man, I, they, they just three seems to be if that's the age. And I have records now that I've been out there so long, and uh, I don't think you pick up one that year. You may see a stray buck or two during the rut, but. 
I personally don't think you pick up any, not on my place anyway. Sometimes, but it, it's not nearly as frequently as us losing deer. And I think that stems from how much food we have that probably increases the population, perhaps a little above normal carrying capacity to the surrounding area. So therefore you're seeing a lot more deer than you would if, the, if there were no food plots present. Then when the rut hits, they take off and go, you know, they scatter all over. And then, then, you know, I always say the farm is full, then it exhales during the rut and then it inhales some back during the late season. But more often than not, you don't, you don't pick up nearly as many as you lose. And I, I do think that's because of how much food we have. And it's probably an unnatural amount of, of uh, deer that are in there on that food source during the early part of the season. That's, that's my gut on it anyway. Mm -hmm. That's a good analogy. Dudley, you got that one last question picked up? Yeah. Uh, Michael Wigginton asked, what age do you think most bucks will make the biggest jump in antler size? So when, you know, when, when does the average individual deer really blow up? Boy, there's so many variables to that question. I mean, herd health and, and an individual buck's health has so much to do with that answer. Like, you know, if, if all things were equal and none of them ever got injured or run down, I would say the biggest jumps occur between three and four and then five and six. I don't see a, a huge jump between four and five, although they can, but I see big jumps between three and four and then and then five and six. If you were going to give somebody one tip for, for hunting during the rut, just one thing to take away from all the years that you've been doing it, is there something that jumps in your mind? Hunt all day. Yes. Great 100%. Tip. Like the rut, <clears throat> while it can be really rewarding, it can also be very frustrating if you're going out. That's the, the one of the reasons we did the show 13, because they go through so many changes throughout the, throughout the year. You go through September and October and you get, you get, you know, lulled into this position of they're going to start moving at, at five and they're going to be done by seven, you know, and then the late season similar, but come rut, they're liable to be moving at 10, 30, 11, one, one o'clock, just as much as they are the first two hours and the last two hours. So when it comes to the rut, it's almost the opposite. Like we don't see a tremendous amount of movement until about 9am and then they'll go all day off and on up till about four. So it, it, it almost does a reversal. The first couple hours and the last couple hours are the worst and the middle part of the day is the best. So if, if you're going to hunt the rut and go somewhere on a trip, put some, put some stand time in, hunt all day. It makes a lot of sense. I bet you that DeerCast app would help tell, tell – real quick, would you tell our listeners about that app? You got it. I'm just saying, you got to – it doesn't matter if it's Mark or not. It's, it's, it's the best thing out there if you're an adamant, adamant deer hunter. I mean, first of all, nothing's perfect. And any deer product that says it is, I mean, sorry, it's not. But you should use what is the best, and it is the best – app or information on potential deer movement and how to plan a hunt and you know all the usefulness of it 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 was great as a brainchild of mark and terry and them putting it together but they've evolved and made it better and better it is the best thing to use as a deer hunter i just want to be sure everybody's clear and that is not because he's mark and we're so close it's just a fact it's great yes great great product man i i appreciate that that incredible endorsement toxie thank you um yeah, Bobby, we broke down the, the 
13 phases of the rut within there and, and we talk about it daily through our video installments within and then we give you a prediction on a daily basis we give you wind direction we now have maps in there where you can go in and set up your uh, wind checker like cuz was referring to earlier we also allow you to put a rain station out that'll tell you exactly how much rain you're getting daily or annually um, there's a lot of different, and we do deer cast track, help you through tracking your animal once you hit it. There's a lot of different things. And, and the thing we've remained true to with deer cast, we are 100% focused on whitetail deer. Not to say that you couldn't use it for elk or mule deer or wild turkeys or anything else, but our focus is on the whitetail deer. And, and we don't go outside of our lane because we really feel like it's, it's a great tool for the whitetail hunter. And, and we just want to remain true to that audience. Wow. Well, and the other thing you got to the public know that that it gets better and better and better over time. And now it's been out for quite a few years. It's gotten because they're fine tuning. They continue to feed it information, just like the age of artificial intelligence. They continue to feed this and make it smarter and smarter and smarter. Uh, so you know, it's you know, it it is quite a great tool, and especially planning ahead of time. I remember some of the best deer biologists ever. You know, then people would tell us, you know, hey, there's the lunar tables and all the deer light daylight activity index things and they would all say but the one thing nobody can get their arms around and included is the the weather weather trumps everything but then there's a combination of those so my point in saying this they were able to bring to bear enormous you know weather and meteorological uh, data set to this that keeps getting smarter and smarter and it's not you know it's based on actual deer sightings and deer movement brilliant you know We've never we've never shared that that algorithm with anybody, but Toxie, I would love for you to sit down with Terry and I one day and, and get on the computer where the algorithm exists right. and show you on a day in and day out basis what it's doing and how it's predicting stuff. Mm-hmm. I think your mind would you would you would love it, man. I'd I'd love for you to be able to do that with me someday. I think you'd enjoy that. Probably. <laughs> Probably would blow my mind. Oh man. Bobby's just laughing envisioning me sit still for anything uh, yeah. for thirty minutes. Yes, yeah, as much Yeah, time- but this is so this oh, it is. is. Like, yeah. There's so many different levers and so many different things going on. I think your mind would go, "Oh my goodness, you'd, you'd get into it, man." Well, you could. It's pretty you know, cool. Like we didn't miss one little, one little variable either. Everything is tweaked to the with a fine tooth comb with every single variable that's within. And the, you mentioned the moon. The moon is just one of the 13 different variables within the algorithm. Wow. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah I've absolutely. Looked, I've, so, uh, for uh, if you don't have it, they can go to where, where do they go to get this thing, Mark? Uh, deercast.com easiest place or either app store google or, or apple now that sounds awesome so easy enough yeah. it'll keep you from making mistakes that's what that's what it's there for <laughs> real quick this is rapid fire and i know you're having trouble hearing so here we go um oatmeal or grits grits sausage patty or link patty sweet or unsweet sweet Vince Coleman, Willie McGee, or Lou Brock? Lou Brock. Ginger or Mary Ann? Mary Ann, brunette. Trick question. Ford or Chevy? Ram. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Go to the beach or go to the lake? Oh, my goodness, lake. Uh, Deer, morning or afternoon? Afternoons. Temperature or pressure, what's more important? Both. Archery or firearm? Both. Food, ver- food versus cover? Food. Cuz or Toxie? Both. Love them. <laughs> <laughs>
God bless you, Mark. Golly, what a big time. Yeah. Great job, Dudley. Again, he does a great job with those questions. <laughs> yeah, he, he does. does. Well, yeah, we'll, he does. We'll let you run. I know somebody else is trying to get at you now. So we really appreciate you coming on board today. Big time. I appreciate you having me, and I appreciate all the kind words. I, I love you all like, like family. Big time, because we are. And Merry Christmas to all of your clan up there. Ditto, brother. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And congrats on being a grandfather. Thank you. We're excited about that chapter. Oh, wow. Doxy, yeah. were you Ginger or, or Marianne, you brunette guy like me? Mm, he was Mrs. Howell. I think like what you said, both. <laughs> <laughs> or neither, I guess. Right. <laughs> That's probably the best answer. All, All right, right, Mark. Appreciate you guys. Thank yeah. you so much. That, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Dell does a good job. The, so the Rapid Fire is brought to you by Springfield Armory. They've got some great pistols. I think, uh, Dudley, I think you've been playing yeah, with I'm one. Yeah, I'm playing with one of their 1911-esque pistols. It's it's awesome. Yeah. I love that cocked and locked, the old-school 1911s. Feels good, too. Good trigger. So we all know you love to bow hunt. That'd be your choice. Yes, but do always. you have a, you know, growing up through all these years you've been deer hunting, do you have a favorite caliber? Um, You know, I always loved the 270, and my early influence on that was Mr. Bob Dixon. And I own a 270. I bought from a young whippersnapper about 35 <laughs> years ago that Bob said, Hey, I got a guy who wants to sell you his style, you know, 270. And his name was Bobby Cole. And he has begged to buy that yeah. back. Yeah, my mama needed a surgery back in the day, and I mm. had to raise some money. So, But um, in recent years, I have used a 308 and i've never had one before and i've actually been very pleased with that particular gun too so you know i'm still a fan of where you hit them over the caliber so myself yeah that 270 is a fantastic caliber though what dudley look you look like you got something you well i was gonna ask cuz what he thinks the best youth hunting platform is like gun wise what are what are you using with the boys it, I mean, it, well, it depends on age. You know, Cranky's still, he's just nine, and he has a 223 star, and it's a bolt action. And it, it's, it doesn't, it, you know, I'm more scared early on of the recoil because if, if, you, if you spook them early on with that flinch, they're done for a long time. Uh, after that, I love the 25 alt six. That's what all the girls have. That's what uh, that to me, yeah, and great. I learned that from Doc over Bent Creek. He he just said get them a 25 alt six, and they love them. Mm-hmm. And I'm like Toxie. It's it's about where you hit it. You can kill one with a 22 250. But uh, my if you know, if I got to pick a caliber, I'm gonna say 25 alt six for yeah. the lack of recoil. Hey, he touched on something I want to be sure, and I'm sure it's been touched on here a bunch before. But it it's a big deal to me in getting a kid ready for the first time hunting a rifle. And I've got a couple of buddies that are working on that right now. And you know, I want them to spend time with a BB gun first and whatever. But you know, mine had trouble with the eye relief and just didn't want to do it. Couldn't figure it out. Dad, I can't figure out the black hole. Like I just can't see. I can't see. And we finally did that when they realized they weren't going deer hunt without being able to. But I will say, practice with a twenty-two. Practice, 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 practice. Don't get caught up thinking they need to shoot their two forty-three or two twenty-three or whatever it is. Uh, in fact, I don't think it matters if the first time they pull the trigger on that is actually when they deer hunt. Honestly, because then they haven't been taught to flinch or fear or worry about. It, and you just want to make sure they got a good grip on it and don't let it pop them up 
like Bobby let happen <laughs> once upon a time. Yeah. But I would say practicing with that 22 and not something with recoil is really critical when they're very first started, in my opinion. I would ex- Everybody should do that. Mm-hmm. That's a good suggestion. And, and, you know, you can, like, get a little bolt-action 22, right. then transition them right into a bolt-action. Right, They don't even know the difference. Yeah, and I mean, even if it's an auto 22, you're just practicing with something that's, to them, harmless. They don't feel it. It's fun. They're not thinking about that. They're not anticipating that. You know, and they may develop a bad habit later on when they start shooting one, but I think it's so important. Don't put the bigger gun in front of them. Yeah. You know, until you go hunting, honestly. That's yeah. a good, good point. We've got a trivia. Why don't we ask it of Cuz? Mac, why don't you take over? What do we got? What's next? We're playing for Bullard House, and the prize today is a duck box from Duck Hut. And it's oh, out, wow. out of Mr. Toxie's closet. Right. Uh, perfect setup, you know, late winter for du- wood ducks hatching. Uh, and so we've got a question, and it's uh, it's a species of bird will be the question. Is oh. what it was that? All right, I'm going to go ahead and apologize to Mr. <laughs> to Mr. House. I'm sorry. Maybe Toxie can measure up. I'm, I'm going to phone a Dudley on this one, I yeah. bet you. I, th- I think y'all got a shot at this one. So yeah. the question is, what is the smallest bird of prey in the United States, smallest bird of prey. Oh, you can even use Dudley as a lifeline if you wanted to, because he wasn't aware of this question. Yeah, I think I know what the fastest one is, but I'm not sure I know what the smallest one would be. The Here, fastest one would be that peregrine falcon. Yeah, you hear this one sometimes in the spring. Mm-hmm. He's got a real unique sound. Well, to how him. did you know this? Because you looked it up. Well, just, hey, if you yeah. write the question, you know the answer. <laughs> That's right. You know, it depends on what you're praying on. To, to me, the smallest would be a bat, but I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be some kind of hawk, and I don't know all the names of the hawks. I, I think I have. I I'm going to phone Dudley. Yeah, I'm phoning Dudley. Too. So is it a screech owl or is it American kestrel? It's a screech, screech owl? owl yeah. Okay. The little red owls. Yeah. Yep. 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 That's it. So the, the weight of a sparrow hawk is more than a screech owl. Well, I, I don't know, but it, uh, according to uh, Google, yeah, the 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 screech owl is the smallest the bird of, pl- of okay. prey right. here in the United States. A screech owl will absolutely run you out of the woods too. If you yeah. if you hear that at Ooh. four in the morning or nine yeah. at night, yeah, they make some of the craziest sounds. You'll I be do. running looking back for Bigfoot, <laughs> and you think and them things are six inches tall. And not even that. Yeah, they are small. All right, well, so uh, well, we're kind of wrapping up here. Have you got an Ask Dudley question? I do. Uh, you're not going to like it, though. It's a little complicated. No, but uh, you can relate to it, actually, because it's about hickory trees. Okay. Um, I get this question a lot, but uh, somebody uh, named Wade Harris emailed me about, you know, any tips for identifying hickory trees. Um, and that's the most complicated one. And, and if you can ID your hickories, you're you're really good. And it's a good way of showing off in the woods. But uh, I'm going to give you some tips on it. Uh, in uh, like dendrology terms, uh, we look at different, instead of just walking up to a tree and looking at it from a distance, you need to, you need to know all the different factors to be able to narrow something down. So there's all kinds of hickories, you know, mocker nut, sand hickory, pig nut, uh, shell bark, shag bark. There's actually two shag barks. But uh, the main thing you do is you look at the leaves. Um, and hickories have what's called a compound leaf. Yep. So 
instead of having like one simple leaf, a leaf is made up of several leaflets. You know, they're all little leaves. Right, it'd be okay. like a long stem and then might have... Several leaves se- on it. Usually an odd number, an even number on each side and one sticking out on the end. So Correct. Seven, so, uh, nine, you know, a lot of them are like five to seven leaflets or something like a, a regular pecan or a bitternut mm-hmm. hickory have a lot more leaflets. So that's one thing you go by. Does it have five to seven? Mostly five. Does it have five to seven? Mostly seven. Seven to nine. That kind of thing. Um and uh, Bobby's probably going to laugh a little bit, but uh, there's uh, a, a part of this called the rachis, and you need to, is, is it a hairy rachis or a smooth rachis or a scaly rachis? And that's actually like the stem of the, of the leaflet. Right. So that's another way to narrow it down. Of course, you look at the bark, you know, is it platy? Is it diamond shaped? Is it scaly? Is it smooth? It's a very typically a very hard bark too. Even the scaly bark hickory is on all of them. Yeah, all of it. Very very hard. There's no soft. Yeah, anything soft about the bark on. You hit one with a hammer, it'll bounce back at you. Yes, that's that's the. I don't like. If you're working on a dozer, you can move. It's the hardest tree to move. Yeah, and dig up or doing has the dingest root system and you know whatever density yeah. of the wood of anything out there I've never, it's hard it's easier to get rid of a bodock tree than a hickory yeah and if you're gonna do some hacking squirt on a hickory you better wear a helmet because that <laughs> the hatchet's gonna bounce back at you okay so hey, does uh, anything eat a hickory nut other than a squirrel i've heard uh toxie's got a story about uh, a deer uh partic- uh eating a particular oh, uh, tree you heard the story jerry simmons was the one talking about it finding deer going and it was on a some public ground he was hunting and these deer kept going and kept going, and he finally, you know, he trailed where they were going to and then blew a bunch of deer out of there, and it was like three different big old mature trees dropping soft-shell hickories. He never, said never he swore up and down. He'd never seen it before or after, but that the deer were just wearing them out. You know? and, and he would know. He's a, oh, yeah, he was a brilliant, I mean, probably as good as ever walked, yeah, wouldn't well, you say, cuz? Yeah, as good as I've ever met. Yeah. He was unbelievable. Um, but, uh, that, that's like a one of a kind and that, that kind yep. of stuff happens. You know, yeah. People I love, love uh, what, what I would love to do is anybody out there has seen one or found one call Dudley. Let's talk about getting some seed <laughs> and propagating. It'll be a great wild yeah. tree. Um, we love the oddballs. Yes. Uh, but back to that, like the nut, you look at the thickness of the husk, you look at the shape. So like a pig nut hickory actually has a pear shape to it. So that's another thing you want to do to, to narrow it down. Uh, the twigs, are they smooth? Are they, are they hairy? Are they thin? Are they stout? Um, and then the bud at the end of the twig, uh, is it small? Is it large? Is it elongated? So, uh, again, that's all, that's many of the factors to narrow down the hickories. But, uh, once you learn, then you can be the cool guy and be able to identify for everybody. <laughs> Uh, I have to brush up on it all the time. Oh, right. Thank you, Mr. Know-it-all. All All right, guys. Well, look, uh, what what did we learn today? Was there a takeaway from what Mark taught us? We've heard the duck guy. We've heard the turkey guy. We've heard the deer guy. Biologists all say the number one factor in activity, just like for turkeys, it was like even gobbling activity. Number one detriment is hunting pressure over everything else. So think about it and learn from it, you know. Toxie's favorite saying, and I, I quote him all the time, is 
when you're talking, when you ask him a question about intrusion or should I do this, he's like, man, I don't trust him. And no. I, don't, I don't care if you're talking about deer or turkeys, it's like, I don't trust him. I especially don't trust <laughs> deer, you know, but yeah. So, so a guy could actually, if you, if listening to Mark talk about just picking the perfect time to go into a property property a guy's actually making his place better if he doesn't go on it sure or doesn't go on it so it, it, you know when you think about it like that the, and you and you start watching for that perfect opportunity the winds and what, what the rut perhaps i mean that's that's so important there's nothing sloppy about the way mark drury approaches tur- um, deer especially all yeah. hunting and all of business and life and stuff you know, and if he knows, he just doesn't do it. You know, mm-hmm. he doesn't violate that. And I realize everybody has a different set to listen to, and I mean, uh, or a place to hunt. And so, you know, you got to, you know, your day off, you have to do it and whatever. But just understand their ability to know you're there is way beyond the stuff you see, you know, especially scent wise. And another takeaway a guy can do is, is you should have. In an ideal scenario, you, sh- you should have stands that you can hunt on south wind, south, east wind, west, so that you know, okay, well, here's what I got today, and here's my, my only choices. I'll give a, a good thing to take away from today for average guy has to deal with, you know, being in a hunting club or hunting on public land and stuff. And Mark said it, and I think you can relate to it and learn from it, you know, because a lot of people, it's a little bit of a turn. I don't have the kind of properties he does or whatever, you know, but you can still learn from him. But he made a comment when I was a kid, all the guys I knew that consistently in a hard hunting area would kill really good deer would be the ones that would, they paid a little attention to the days they picked, but sometimes when you work hard, you can't do that. But they would go and they would stay all day. In other words, if they had a choice to hunt four days in a row, like early and late, or just go on a really good day and stay all day long, they would stay all day long. And so I think... Uh, picking a good spot and then staying all day long, it would probably be your maybe one of your top tips to having success in our part of the world or in heavily hunted areas. Uh, and one of the reasons why is deer get trained to move middle of the day and all that too. But you've only incurred one intrusion in there, and once you've done that, go ahead and make the most of it that day. You know, is probably another reason why. Uh, but I've noticed the longer the season goes on around here, the less, especially right at daylight, the, the amount of activity right at daylight greatly, greatly diminishes. And the amount of activity in the middle of the day greatly increases. So I take that from Mark. You know, if you're out there fixing to hunt the rut in the south and you're really, really, really into it, and uh, I would I would try that. Pack a lunch. A, pack a lunch. Because, uh, Tommy, take a two-liter Mountain Dew bottle. You know, if you have something to relieve yourself and whatever, and uh, you know, stay all day. And you know, my, what a when you if you just forget the world, I guess you get on your phone, and phone will save some big deer sometimes. You're fooling with your phone; it has for me. But just enjoy being there. I mean, you only get so many days in life, and man, spending one out there with all the God's wonders in the day. Go yeah. do it. Go yeah. get. Be sure you got somewhere you can be comfortable because you can't stay all day if you're not comfortable. Yeah, that's good advice right there, Mac. You got anything to add to this? Uh, no, I mean, I, I've been taking notes over here, but one thing I did want to add is we'll put in the show notes, uh, the DeerCast uh, website so you can get on that and check it out for sure. 
But that's yeah. pretty much it. For yeah, me. That's, yes. that's good. I'll help you pick the day. Yep. And so uh, the, our, our our trivia winner, if he'll contact us at gamekeepers at mossyoak.com, we'll get that uh, that duck hut sent to him. So, and guys, if you have any other ideas for podcasts, you can email us at gamekeepers at mossyoak.com as well. And listen to Cuzzy Fistful of Dirt. You got a good one this week. I'm, I, I understand it's yeah. all female. <clears throat> yeah, it, it, that that's you know that's me rolling the dice when I get because. Women come with drama, and that it could be good drama or bad. But I pulled it off second year in a row. But I love listening to their take on what it means. You know, they were all raised around. It's not their main focus like it is, but hearing their opinions very valuable. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, uh, I, I posted things this morning and said, "Hey, the, these ladies shoot straight. No pun intended." because they've all killed deer and stuff but listen to them talk about raising those boys and girls outdoors in today's social media world there's some life lessons in there i'm very proud of it that's awesome yeah i can't wait to hear that. i can't wait to hear it <laughs> absolutely yeah all right taxi you got anything to add before we close this thing down man just remind everybody so joe i know with trials and tribulations the world's a rough place there's a lot of bad you know hate and evil and all that stuff out there and we got a divided country and all that stuff man just go clean your fam- clean tight to your family and get outdoors and remember this unbelievable season with christmas and the reason for it and cherish it you know i love the fact that we start celebrating it the day thanksgiving thanksgiving's over i start hanging christmas decorations i'm kind of known as a christmas decorations nut job you are amen I, I love doing it true, i mean true. to the detriment of even going hunting a lot and sometimes but just you only get so many sunrises but you're only going to get so many christmas so cherish it and it's also it's a magic time of the year in the south with you know the duck hunting and the rut and all the stuff that comes with it even late season you know, squirrel hunting and dove hunting and everything else you can do so just you know have a heart of gratitude for the month of december it's a special time yeah it is good words all right. Well, I'm looking at everybody. I don't think there's anything else. Y'all watch our TV show on uh, Tuesday nights, 8 uh, o'clock Central Time, The Gamekeepers of Mossy Oak. We'd appreciate you watching that and appreciate you listening to this podcast. Well, guys, we enjoy doing this and uh, look forward to doing some more. So why don't you say goodbye, Dudley? Merry Christmas and goodbye, Dudley. Perfect. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of The Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine. And don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.